you know, they're worried about backlash. It's not my place. Somebody will say, shut up and dribble. And we're also at a very magical, empowering point for them to go, you know what? I might not say it correctly. I have the power to say it. Welcome back, everybody, to season three of the Climate Champions podcast. In this episode of the listening sessions, we have Eileen McManaman, Kristen Fulmer, and Monica Rowand. These three women are experts in sports sustainability, and together we formed the Sports Sustainability Research Collective earlier this year. They joined me in conversation to talk about partnerships and the potential of sport to serve as a vehicle for advancing SDG 17. So this is a conversation uh, I've been meaning to have actually for a long time with the group, and we've been having it in various forms for a number of months. But I feel like in this moment of COVID, finding the people who you can work through all the weirdness of the ups and downs of working from home and what's going on and do we come back and don't we come back and how does that work and who's involved and who loses and who wins. It's been a weird six months. And this is the group that has gotten my sanity through it um, from a work standpoint. So um, Eileen, Monica and Kristen, really excited to talk about just the importance of teamwork and collaboration and how all of those kind of pieces are instrumental to making sport just more sustainable, more equitable as we move forward um, and coming out of COVID. And so I want to start with the SDGs. I've spoken about them before on the podcast, but I've never actually gotten into specifics. And so I want to talk about SDG 17, which isn't necessarily linked to any one issue. It's kind of linked to all of them. Uh, And I'll kick it to you, Eileen, to talk about what SDG 17 really means and, and why we've all come to believe that it's so important. Well, you know, like I said, you had me at SDG, you know, I'm the kind of the the SDG queen with a small Q. (laughs) But, um, So in terms of SDG 17, the Sustainable Development Goal, um, it's partnerships for the goals, in case uh, anybody listening doesn't know that one offhand. Um, It's kind of interesting because it's one you don't totally reference that you act on, you know, to to achieve something specific, like the other ones around clean water or innovation, but it is the glue to all of them because it, it points out that they're interrelated, that you can't, you know, you can't have robust economic prosperity without, you know, social prosperity or environmental prosperity, because it's, it's all, it's a house of cards if they're not really all paid attention to. So I think it also helps remind us that there's no silver bullet to solving the various issues that we have, but like we most often as a group are speaking about the environmental issues. There is no silver bullet and there's no one actor government, corporate, individual. So a lot of people try to scoot backward out of their their role in, in the environmental issues because they're like, well, we can only do so much. Um, and sometimes that's an, an excuse to not to get started doing anything. Um, but that's it's just not an option. So it's a good goal to remind us that everybody needs to be on part, on side, everybody needs to do their part. And in fact, you need to look at everything holistically. So it, I think it underscores the mindset shift that's required for all of us to thrive. Kristen, you were the one that actually brought this group together back in March. 
what originally inspired it? And I feel like you tell the story best. So yeah, no, I think it, at first uh, I was sitting in my apartment, like we all were, uh, behind closed doors with so much anxiety, just building up of all of the things that should or could be happening. Uh, and it was all in my head. I was very much in my head and I was just trying to think, how do I highlight some of these things that I'm seeing as issues uh, and really get ahead of it? And so I realized very quickly that in my own head, I couldn't really tackle any of these issues. And it made so much more sense to pull in a group of brains to be able to talk about it and think about it. And um, I think we, we really just did a great job bouncing things off of each other. I know you all made me feel reduced my anxiety maybe and made me feel a little bit more uh, confident and excited for the future as opposed to uh, scared for the sustainability industry. And I think what's so great about SDG 17, um, when I'm asked in a workshop or something what my favorite SDG is, I always say SDG 17. And I feel like it's a cop out every time. And then I realize all of the things that Eileen just mentioned and I think it's important to highlight, you know, that there are experts of all of the other SDGs, but together, that's when truly the the Build Back Better movement or any other movement towards sustainability actually happens. And I think our group has done a really great job in the past months now, although back in March, I don't think we thought it was months, um, to to really address this and continue to think through other experts uh, who address specific SDGs can can be pulled in and um, really leverage the partnerships. Yeah. And, and I think that the partnerships piece, um, again, obviously that's the whole name of the game with SDG 17, but it goes beyond collaborating with just the people in your network. Um, it really means collaborating across the table with other industries. With, I know, Kristen, your background is in built environment. Um, and so you know, there's a lot of lessons to learn to be learned there. Eileen, an extensive background in professional sport in minor league baseball um, at high levels of management. So bringing in that strategic piece. Monica, I think your your experience is really unique because you straddle that line of being in the education environment and then also in the sports world. Um, but the people that you deal with on the day to day are in waste management, like they're all over the place. So I want you to talk a little bit about just how all those different players come into um, and how you've brought them into your work on addressing sustainability at University of Louisiana at Lafayette um, and how these players also have to come into play with regard to building back better. How do all these different pieces come together? Yeah, definitely. Well, so it really just highlights the point and the importance of no matter what type of partnership it is. I mean, honestly, whether we're doing it for sustainability reasons or not, like especially, but in sustainability, everything we do is so interdisciplinary, no matter what, like, okay, if my goal is to make this football stadium be a zero waste stadium, that's not something that one person is going to do. Waste in particular, energy, whatever we're working on, transportation, getting fans to the stands. It's something that it's a process that so many different players are involved in that you need to develop not only the partnership to work together uh, to get it done because if I change one thing over on point three of the timeline of getting something somewhere it's going to have an effect elsewhere and everyone needs to be on board to make sure that the plan happens correctly 
But then I also think it's important, like these partnerships and keeping in mind, like they're not just partnerships, like tit for tat to get things done. They need to be relationships as well. So just keeping that in mind to develop that relationship is always going to be a better partnership. And just outside of the nitty gritty space of actually on the ground getting it done. I think it's important and I would love for us to just like call out here and talk about more like the interesting nature of talking about partnerships in an industry that is so based in competition and the importance of, okay, keep the competition on the field, but what can we do to pull each other up? We have all these really big players who have met high advancements. And if you look at SDG 17 and in the individual targets, a lot of, you know, because it's the United Nations where it's coming from, it's talking about helping developed countries, helping underdeveloped countries like leapfrog towards progression. And how can we do that in the sports industry as well? So that each new development doesn't have to go through steps A through B. Like I came from Colorado to Louisiana, took, it shouldn't have taken only three months to go to a 65% diversion rate, but it did because honestly, because of Colorado helping out so much, allowing us to jump over that in that partnership. So, you know, I think is interesting about um, what the partnerships allow us to do is to address a number of uh, different perspectives and issues at once often, right? And one of the things that this group has grappled with over the summer, especially with the Black Lives Matter movement really coming into focus is how do you prioritize what to work on at what time? And it's a discussion we've had several times and we have come to more or less the same conclusion every time. And Kristen, I'll let you elaborate on what that's been because it's hard. Like, do we push environmentalism right now? Do we not? Is that appropriate? Is it not? How do we kind of navigate these moments um, and put the priority, uh, prioritize what has to be prioritized, but also kind of keep the momentum? I think what's really interesting about collaborating with with a group in general is that you get to know people so well pretty quickly when you start working together. And I realized uh, pretty soon into starting to work as the group of four of us that I didn't know any of you all very well. And these opportunities to collaborate really helped with that. And these moments of challenge and really difficult conversations that we were having and trying to address helped me just understand you all so much more, how you worked and really, to be honest, checked me a lot of times in terms of what my priorities were and, and, in really respecting your backgrounds and areas of expertise, I realized how different those priorities could and really should be. Uh, so one example was, I'll just kind of call out quickly because I, I'm i almost embarrassed by, by my reaction to it originally, which was the Blackout Tuesday, uh, that, that specific Tuesday that I think we all remember. And I think it was Maddie um, or maybe Monica that called it out originally. And we were supposed to have an event on that day. And one of you all brought this up and said, hey, I think we need to be sensitive to it. And in that moment, I said, no, we need to talk about the environment. Uh, We need to make sure we still have this conversation. And I am so glad and thankful for the you know, opportunity to partner and collaborate because I would have made an error if it had been on my own and having this be a conversation to address all of the other priorities that we as a sustainability uh, professionals need to have um, was it was a really uh, it was a moment that I learned a lot about myself and a lot about you all um, and I you know just really appreciate kind of the opportunity to collaborate to be able to to bring that to attention. 
Yeah, and I think with that moment in particular, and I remember that I think we had two or three conversations over the course of, I want to say a day, maybe two, um, just about where does the importance of an environmental uh, sustainability fit in with these very important social justice issue conversations that have to be having and that really do need spotlight. And so we did, we gave it a, a day uh, and we pushed and then, and then we continued, um, which again was like a separate decision to actually continue and to keep pushing. Eileen, share what that process was like on your end and with the group. Well, that was kind of, a, you know, that, that whole time period and spending it with you guys was really cool as well because you're working through it in real time as opposed to just in your own head. But for me, um, we've also done a lot of work in, in diversity and inclusion at 5T, particularly in Canada. Um, and, you know, it was a moment where I felt like at, at times I'm working in two different camps, but to me, they're always related and so that was the opportunity to say, you know what, the environmental agenda is the social agenda. The social agenda is the environmental agenda. And this is the moment. And just as COVID was, it was the moment to connect human health to the environment, um, you know, connecting um, inequities to the environment helps us humanize the environmental issues in a way that has been difficult for probably 40 years. If you think of all the big environmentalists, um, they have a hard time getting people to relate to, you know, whether it was an ozone hole in the 70s or whatever, because it's just, it's out there. You can't touch it. You can't feel it. But when you see things like every, like all the traffic stops and the air clears up and people visually notice it, whether they're impacted personally with a respiratory issue or not, chances are somebody in their life is, um, but maybe they're just appreciating a sunset in a way or going, wow, I feel better being outside or my jog feels better because the air is cleaner. It was to me a magical moment to connect environment to human social issues. And the other thing that we saw, of course, with the racial inequity, um, and the intersection with COVID as well is, wow, the people that we actually rely on every single day to get us where we need to go um, to make sure that the hospital that we walk into is clean, you know, to make sure our elderly parents are taken care of, you know, they're, they're getting impacted in a way that impacts, if you're completely selfish, you're going, okay, that impacts me because now I can't get where I want to go or now I can't, you know. So I think it was just exceptional that it, brought it all together for me. And it was really kind of cool to be able to talk through that in real time with, with all of you, because sometimes these thoughts are very muddled in my head, but when you're having a dialogue with people, it's, you're able to get all these things that are going flashing through your minds um, uh, out and, and work through. But, and it was really, really cool to be able to bring that together, you know, piece that we could then share with a load of other people and get their reactions to you know, and, and like all the 17 goals, different things touch people different ways. And that doesn't matter as long as you get them all on the same road, um, which has always been like my approach to the environmental stuff. I'm like, I'm the crass one who talks about the money because, because that's what matters to some people. So you have to touch on it, right? For other people, something else matters. For somebody, it's all about the ocean, the ocean, the ocean, the ocean. That's great. If that's your, if that's your pathway, if that's your gateway, that's great. Yeah. 
Well, and I think, you know, you're touching on something important and it happens, especially in sport. Like I've seen it probably more in sport front offices than elsewhere is those silos. Like you get a person who's hired to be a sustainability coordinator and you get a person and shout Mm -hmm. out to them. It's a lot of women and they're doing really cool work. You get a person who's hired to be the diversity Mm -hmm. coordinator, manager, uh, VP, increasingly VP, which is really promising. Um, Again, a lot of women, so more power to all of them, more minorities in those roles, again, more power to them. Um, It's not often the same person. And I think that that's interesting. And sometimes they're not even in the same office, right? One person's in outreach, one person's in a C-suite, or one person's in HR, and one person is in community relations or facilities or whatever. These things go together. And that kind of really comes to the fore with SDG 17. Monica, I want to bring, we're going to turn the conversation a little bit because one of the topics related to sustainability, and it's very closely linked um, to equity as well and to access, is transport. It doesn't get a lot of attention typically when we talk about sports, um, unless you're in one of the very few uh, little pockets of people who are really dealing with this really well. But I interviewed you in season one for this podcast. And you said that you had, and I'm going to quote you, a dream that everybody would take a fan bus from designated pickup points to the game in lieu of all the cars parked at the game, and that this would be an extension of the event. COVID's obviously throwing a wrench in all of this, but I think it's important that we kind of keep those goals in mind. Where do you see, and I'm going to bring this back to Eileen and Kristen after, because I know everyone has a lot to say on transport, but when it comes to transport as a mechanism for being more sustainable, as a mechanism for being more inclusive to people who may not have a car, where do you see that going? Like, what are the promising moves happening right now in that space? Yeah. So aside from, I'm just going to say it bluntly, everyone's fear of taking public transportation right now. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I see. I mean, there's huge opportunity. Again, this is something, and I think it's interesting to point out in the world of sports, the importance of the partnership with the community you're in as well, because all of our areas, our capacity to be able to support that type of dream is very different. So if you look at, it just really is going to depend a lot on those different capacities. I think there's a lot of opportunity right now to get people, maybe a fan bus isn't going to be the option. Maybe a good way to focus is how are people within a walking or biking distance going to be getting to a game and can they do that? And what can we do around our facilities to make it more conducive for those rides or those walks um, and incentivize those from happening? And then also paying attention to, so we just talked about the interconnectedness of the social, economic, and environmental pieces of sustainability that we as practitioners know to our core are involved in everything. But a lot of people think sustainability, green, it's the environment, you tree hugger. But it's not just that. And so when you look at transportation, if you're getting cars off the road, you're getting uh, pollutants out the air, which leads to better air quality, better breathing. In a lot of places where it's condensed pollution in an area, it's a lot of um, lower income neighborhoods where that's happening. And it's, that's where, you know, a lot of um, people of color who are experiencing uh, worse, worse impacts of COVID-19. So if we can clean up different parts of the environment and relates to health and wellness, that relates to social justice, this 
issue of eco-social justice as well. And so what roles can we play in transporting people? Yeah, I mean, yeah. the fan bus Absolutely. idea is a great I mean, idea, frankly. A lot of teams have suburban fan bases that really transport in a, you know, like the municipal transport system may not support very well outside of our major, major markets. Um, but to be able to get to either a park and ride situation, you're extending that game day, you're extending like a kind of a, the spirit starts to build on a, on a bus like that, where you encourage, um, I would say more multimodal ways of getting there. So maybe people do need to drive into a certain point, but you point them to where the bike share might be located or point them to, hey, it's going to be a family ride for the last 5K to the stadium, make that a family event. And the other aspect on the, on the human side is, is the safety around the stadium as well. Because when you have a lot of cars that are trying to get in, you know, they're frazzled. They want to get their parking spot. They want to get into the game. They're not paying as much of attention. You know, you're going to have some more pedestrian incidents. You have higher costs of your public service, your police and, and, and game day staff, you know, trying to direct that traffic. Um, aside from the pollution, you've got a human safety element there that makes it, again, that hassle factor. And what we know from all the leagues is attendance has been declining. Every single sport, attendance has been declining. And part of that factor is that hassle factor. Why would I want a hassle of getting in the car and going down to the stadium and paying and yada, yada, and the traffic and all that, you know, take the hassle out of it. That, that's a major, a major plus side for the revenue. But also all the activations that you might be able to do with partners um, add up as well. Uh, you can have a lot of fun with surprise and delight. So maybe you're able to incorporate more pubs and restaurants that are on that last 5K route, maybe that's the collection point where, you know, you get, and then you've, and then you've, um, you've got all those people riding those bikes. And one of the things we do have to be mindful of is um, that cities have taken this opportunity to rethink their traffic patterns, add a lot more bike lanes. So that congestion may get tougher when we do see fans return. So it's possible that parking hassle and that parking price may go up. So it's a good place for, for teams to think about getting out in front of. Yeah. And, and I think with, so we can get them to this. I mean, we've always been able to get people to the stadium, but we now have additional challenges getting them there, but then we have to actually get them into a facility and sit them down and hopefully, you know, put on a good show. Kristen, you've been involved in a couple of different efforts to uh, take care of what that built environment is going to look like. Um, as a group, we, really dug into this in the sustainable sport agenda, a white paper that we just put out and I would encourage you to check it out. It's on the five T sports website, but Kristen talk about, let's talk about what happens when we get into in the indoors for that population that's going to make it there um, is going to be excited about that. And there's a lot of them who seem to be getting to go. Sure. What, I mean, I, first you, you address that there's a certain population that's going to get there and that, you know, of course means that there's a lot of population that's not. Um, and so I think at first trying to identify um, why those people aren't able to, whether it is, you know, a social equity issue or if there is actually a lack of fan confidence in the cleanliness or safety of reopening the stadium. And there's probably a large cohort of fans who would otherwise be going to games that won't be. So it's in sports uh, organization's best interest if they want to continue to sell tickets, which I'm assuming they do, to not only do everything right on site, but to also talk about it and really hone in on 
what elevates fans' confidence and not just, you know, on-site be doing the necessary cleaning or necessary food safety protocols, but also to be talking about it and relating it to fans uh, in different ways. So whether that's, you know, visually through signage or um, over audio, over the speaker, telling them about it, whether it's social media ahead of time, there's a lot of ways to engage with fans uh, and reassure them confidence. But then, of course, there's also the, the practical aspect of not just telling them it's safe, but also making sure that it actually is. And so a lot of those efforts, um, you know, we can turn to other types of buildings that are already open, see best practices in terms of social distancing and janitorial and cleaning um, and even food safety um, in restaurants and offices and um, potentially schools as, as they continue to open. And so we can turn to all of these industries as best practice and figure out how it applies to sports stadiums. Uh, and there's also some third-party validations and certifications that are coming out to help not necessarily make decisions, but to just validate and, again, reassure fans through a different mode of communication. Hey, this has been verified. We endorse this as being a safe place and safe and hopefully sustainable place for, for you to be. And so those um, different mechanisms for communication uh, are really critical to fan confidence and also truly their safety. And by the way, that's not just the fans, that's also the staff and the athletes and everybody back of house as well. And all of those solutions present or almost always, there's an opportunity for more partnership and more sponsorship. And Eileen has been the queen of finding every possible solution for more money. So yes. So, but, but it is, right? It is. There's been colossal loss of money in this industry. There has been an unprecedented loss of jobs. This is very real for a lot of people and the money, we do have to talk about it. And so, but it's not, it doesn't have to all be framed in loss. There are opportunities. And I think it's really important that we frame it that way. And we remember that. And those opportunities will create those new jobs, bring people back from furlough, get people back to their work. So um, what what are some you know, of those we've, opportunities? We've touched on them throughout, but, um, you know, I think if we, if we go to the transportation side specifically, they're bringing additional potentially, let's say, restaurant or local pub partners on, which is a win-win, you know, if you, if you look at that, if you're going, hey, we're going to, we're going to set up a bike station right here at your place that encourages that people are going to visit that establishment. With the fan bus, you've got opportunities for your mainstream partners, whoever those might be, your insurers, your telecoms, whomever, uh, you know, to get involved with that kind of fan activation or, you know, different surprise and delight things that we might find. I know one, it's not new, but I know the Houston Dynamo and Dash, and I think a few other clubs do this uh, get caught on transit, which may help with the transit situation, where people are getting surprised if they're found wearing a jersey on transit. They might be surprised with tickets or some other um, some other shout out, and that's just that's just the transportation front. But we have so many other other avenues and angles, and and coming back to some of the human health things, you know, all that all that sanitation and stuff with, that gives your your health and your insurance companies an opportunity to provide kind of different positive messaging around. You know, we want you to take care of yourself. It might be the the avenue for their preventative care kind of messaging, or their health programs, or other things like that. There's so many opportunities, and they, and you're right. The important thing is to frame it in opportunities. We don't think that those sports partners are going to go away, but the sports properties are in a bit of danger at the moment. Mm-hmm. 
of losing some of that funding from big companies, the big, big, you know, the Fortune 500s, the automakers, the insurers, the the technology companies, because they're all concerned about addressing these very real issues head on, because that's what consumers are expecting. They want to see action, whether it's racial justice or health issues. And so it's an opportunity for the sports properties to say, hey, we're a really good conduit for that because fans love us already. And they often listen to what we're saying or they pay attention to our social feeds. So you want to be able to be that conduit for them getting out that next era of messaging of here's what we're doing and how we're doing it. And also, uh, you know, not just sports properties, but also athletes themselves uh, and the power of partnership between individual athletes and these brands. Um, We've seen some really great uh, partnerships already happening, especially towards the racial justice movement. You know, I think athletes have always thought a lot about what they might want to do or want to say, and they don't know how, and they don't, you know, they're worried about backlash. It's not my place. Somebody will say, shut up and dribble. And we're also at a very magical, empowering point for them to go, you know what? I might not say it correctly. I feel that I have the power to say it and and I will say it and I, I'm going to be okay with that, whether it's on an environmental front or a social front. It's a very magical time for that because they that allows them to see themselves even during their playing career, I want to say, as a more whole person and not have that binary fall off when, okay, I'm going to be a pro athlete. And then when I'm done doing that, uh, I'll figure it out. They get to develop, I think, that side of their of their their life and their contribution to society alongside what they're most passionate about. And that helps perhaps give them a bridge into what comes next um, and also build those networks and connections to find what comes next. And figure out how to take action in ways that make sense for them. <laughs> and I think that's what's really important is, and you know, that's what's helpful about the SDGs is that Likely, there will be an SDG. Um, Find or your flavor. Exactly. <laughs> pick your color. Pick your nope. number. <laughs> um, and then starting to make those connections. Um, and, and, of course, brand partnerships and sports organizations and teammates can help bring those things together. Uh, and, you know, individual advocates for specific goals um, can combine to be really powerful. If y'all could see my head right now, it's just nodding very, very vehemently. Um, the ability to, so how to expand that partnership outside of just the, the sports property and a corporate partner, but then what community partners can you bring in to help the community partners to amplify their message? That speaks volumes, especially the local, like there's these huge national nonprofits, which are great and they have local chapters that do amazing things. And we've seen partnerships like that, like, right, the NFL and United Way, MLB and um, ALS and some other things. But then there's also a whole ton of local community partners that could very much move the needle on their work they're doing by getting that extra amplification. I'm glad that we started bringing up because I was really hoping we would bright spots because everything about the SDGs and sustainability and environmentalism and climate change, we get so many doom and gloom narratives from every angle, right? If you watch the news, it's mostly bad. If you are being pressured as an organization into doing something, typically it's from the standpoint of like, if you don't do this, it will look bad. Uh, As opposed to 
when you do this, here's all the really awesome positive benefits that will be accrued um, and all the you know brain print that you can inspire and so on and so forth. And I think there has been a really interesting shift and we've been watching it and we've been tracking it to an extent since March when we started talking about what different sport organizations are doing in response to COVID to support their communities. Some became hospitals and emergency resource distribution centers. Now we have talk of MBA facilities being turned into voting centers or voting resource centers if it's past a certain deadline. There's a big shift happening with regard to how society perceives sport. It's not just sport anymore. And for a long time, I mean, Monica, you're in Louisiana, just got pummeled by one of the worst hurricanes in its history in certain parts of the state. The last time that happened, 15 years ago this week, uh, during Katrina, the sports facilities there were used as shelters and it was equated to like a concentration camp by some of the reporters. Like sport facilities were last resort. They were not part of the plan. It was kind of a fallback situation. Whereas in in COVID and now we're seeing with voting and moving forward, hopefully in emergency plans in different cities across North America, the sport facilities are becoming a central focal point of emergency response plans, of community action you know, services um, of voting. And, and that's been driven by a number of people and a number of partnerships, very important partnerships between those sport entities and their commercial partners who are paying for some of this stuff and also their city partners. Monica mentioned how important those are um, to, to have this shift happen, right? For these facilities to become uh, central to social well-being um, and community and, and not just an afterthought when things kind of go awry. So I want to end with asking each of you, what has been your best bright spot story in this COVID nightmare? Well, I'm, I'm like racking my head through and Maddie, thank you for pointing out the state of Louisiana right now. I was just actually, side note, talking with Kristen and Eileen asking like, do y'all know what's happened? I don't know how much is getting out because it wasn't New Orleans that was affected this time, but further west along the coast. But so thank you for calling that out. But I really, I so I will say I cried on opening day uh watching the Dodgers opening day and just I think the bright spot of being brought out like people whether it be because people are on edge or not but being willing to like we all just mentioned like speak up for certain things and realize that as an athlete you don't just have to be an athlete just Like as a sustainability practitioner, I don't just have to be a sustainability practitioner. I'm able to do multiple things and use my platforms where I have them uh, to build up partnerships for a better tomorrow. Um, So I think that's been my brightest spot so far. Yeah, usually I don't like to answer this specifically, but I will answer with a specific, uh, one of my favorite truly actually partnerships was uh, the Michigan governor, uh, Governor Whitmer, called basically all of the professional sports teams of Detroit to help do kind of a call to action at the beginning of COVID to get, um, you know, the sports teams, coaches, athletes to advocate and encourage everyone to stay at home, to wear masks. This was pretty early in the process, but it was a really interesting public-private partnership of sorts, uh, but a really great way that the government looked towards um, individuals and organizations that we know have a tremendous platform to call to action in a way uh, that resonates maybe more than a government call to action would. Um, Yeah, I'm going to cheat. There's definitely three things that stood out. The first was um, 
the Dallas Mavericks and Mark Cuban, um, because he was one of the earliest to flat out say, boom, all our workers are getting paid, you know, is unequivocal. And then, uh, you know, and all our staff are not getting laid off, but he was also giving, giving the staff money who were still working in their front office at that point and saying, you know, go out and buy your lunch locally. Um, I will pay for that, you know, 25 bucks a day, go out and spend that in the vicinity of our facility where people are going to really be hurting. So there was some very decisive action early to lead and set an example and kind of throw down a gauntlet and, you know, and have others go, Oh, that's a good idea. I'll copy that because we know that happens in sports all the time. Um, and, um, you know, and, I, and that prompted me to start a massive spreadsheet of who was doing what, which I actually don't know if I shared with you guys. And after a weekend of doing it, I was like, Oh my God, this is so overwhelming. And it was prompting me to cry. <laughs> but I was like, this is great. Um, the, the thing that did make me cry during all of this wasn't environmentally related, but it was NASCAR. I never thought I would utter the words NASCAR made me cry today, but um, that show of support for Bubba Wallace was incredible. And their definitive stance and going, you know what, Confederate flag, we're done. And yes, we know that means a lot to a lot of our fans, but we're not, that's it. We're done. We're not talking about it anymore. Boom, it's done. You know, and that to me that that shows we want to be aspirational to fans. Fans should aspire to something higher, and I think we all needed that lift of moment to say, you know what, that principles are principles, and we should aspire to something higher. And you know what, let the chips fall where they may. Um, but the final one, definitely, the NBA has been fantastic. Uh, but they, as a as a league, in having a culture that is broadly accepting, encouraging, and not, you know, shut it down, control it, you know, let's talk to the PR department. But the NBA players, not only making their stance, but actually taking it the next step um, to say, look, we, we want a meeting with our state officials. And I know they were, they consulted with and were guided in Obama on that, but words are one thing and actions that lead to actual change and impact are another. And I'm so impressed that that was not, that went beyond the, we're going to stand down, but we're also going to use not just our voices, but our actual clout to say, look, we want a meeting. We want action. This is what we want. I I could listen to Eileen and Kristen talk about, and you too, Maddie, like great things happening all the time. Um, But I think both of you pointed out, again, the importance of, so that's a unique partnership of uh, the, like, whether it be the city connection with the team or players, um, but then this word partnerships. So then when we get into the sports space, it turns into a lot of like corporate partnerships and money related, but what type of partnership can you have to reach a goal that isn't necessarily also for for financial gains? And that's, that's where the SDGs are so handy because I find they're just a quick, a quick shorthand for you to help identify those people. So if you as an organization are like, um, as Monica said, you know, we care about, you know, zero emissions or we care about health and wellness, then, you know, you can go, okay, that's that. Let me look across all of my big partners, my alcoholic, non-alcoholic beverage, my insurance, my telecom, my financial partner and go, who else has that in their in their crib sheet and their website or whatever that I can find out. And, and, Oh, wow. If we both care about that, 
what can we do together? Yeah, I have had this idea in the back of my head for ages that you know how like in the corners of websites, you'll see the links to their social media. So like, it's just the little bird for Twitter. It's just like, I almost want them to also have to put the numbers of the SDGs that they're actively working on so that like really super fast, I can just come to their site. It's like, here's this team, here's all their socials and also here's all their issues. Yeah. Um, that would just make me really happy. So I'm throwing that out there if anyone's listening to as an idea. So well, I, I will do it on her website by this afternoon. I probably will. <laughs> it's a great idea. It's a great idea. Thank you for this. I think we don't have many answers right now for how things are going to uh, play out in the next few months, over the next year even. Um, but I think, again, when you frame everything as an opportunity for a partnership, when you frame everything as an opportunity to do better, when you recognize that these House of Cards issues really go together, but also the solutions do too, the House of Cards goes both ways. It, it's both the problems and it's the solutions. They're intertwined. And, and SDG 17 does a lot to remind us of that. So thank you all for, for being a part of this and the extra long special episode on, uh, on partnership.